This week on Blue 58, we've got the 53-man roster. Now it's on to Chicago and the start of the regular season. Let's recap the weekend that was and see what we learned about Brian Gutekunst in the process. Plus, did the Packers really miss out on Khalil Mack? And what do we make of the practice squad? Blue 58! Hello and welcome to another episode of Blue 58, the one and only podcast to thepowersweep.com. I am your host, John Meerdink. Very excited to be with you here for another episode it's going to be it's going to be interesting as we look back at the first cutdown weekend of the Brian Gutekunst era. I posited last week that we'd be learning a lot about Brian Gutekunst this weekend, what he thinks of the roster, what other teams around the league think of his roster, so on and so forth. And we learned quite a few interesting things. Let's just work through a few of the things that happened over the weekend, including that trade or not trade for one very notable defensive player. First. The first version of the final 53. This has obviously changed a few times already since last Saturday, so we're not going to go blow by blow a guess through some of the initial things in super, super detail, but I think it's worth talking about. So, no splash cuts first and foremost. Clay Matthews is still here. Randall Cobb is still here. I don't think anybody who really looks at this seriously thought things were going to be any different than that. As much as people wanted to posit things about Randall Cobb being cut through training camp, Brian Bulaga being cut, it just wasn't going to happen. And I don't think there's anybody super serious who thought that was a realistic possibility. If the Packers had made a big trade, and we'll talk about that in a second, then maybe. But failing that, there is really no reason to cut any of those guys because they are still much to some fans' chagrin, useful players, and I think the Packers realize that. So there wasn't anything along those lines, no surprise Josh Sitton cut or something along along those lines. Nothing big. Eight wide receivers. It was a bit of a surprise, but I think we all knew this wasn't going to last, and it didn't. Sorry, Jake Kumaro, you're headed to injured reserve. He may come back, uh, and if he doesn't come back, this could very well be the end of Jake Kumaro in Green Bay. He's got to start. He's got a limited window to make a real run at this thing. And at 26, he'll be 27 next year. This could be it. This could be as good as it gets. I wouldn't be surprised if they're not done here. Seven receivers is still a lot. Not ideal. Um, the The rumor over the weekend was that Brian Gutekunst was looking to trade Trevor Davis. I will be shocked and astonished if that happens. Uh, I even went so far as to say that uh, in, in one medium, I'm not sure if it was uh, talking with a, a couple of my friends about the Packers or something like that, that if Brian Gutekunst actually manages to trade Trevor Davis, I will take a sculpture class and start sculpting his Hall of Fame bust right now because trading Trevor Davis would be an incredible act of GMsmanship if there is such a thing. It would be even more impressive than trading Brett Hundley. Uh, quarterback is a position where if you can do anything to bring in a guy that you think is remotely competent, it's probably worth a shot. And a sixth round pick isn't that much. But receivers are about as dime a dozen as a position gets in the NFL, especially receivers like Trevor Davis. And so if Brian Gutekunst can manage to trade Trevor Davis, that would be a heck of an accomplishment. So eight receivers wasn't going to last and didn't. Neither two running backs. That wasn't going to last and didn't. We'll talk about more or that one a little bit more in a second. Four outside linebackers, though. Here we are Tuesday night as I'm recording this. The Packers still are not super deep at outside linebacker. Um, And this could say a little bit about their overall philosophy. 
and a little bit about what Mike Pettin plans to do on defense. If he is not going with that more, I guess, traditional 3-4, he may not have to have a whole ton of outside linebacker types. I think just given the configuration of the Packers roster, it still is a little bit unusual that the Packers have such a small amount of these guys. And if it stays this way, it'll be even more surprising. I wouldn't be surprised to see Brian Gutekunst continue to tinker with the roster and bring somebody in. I know a lot of people have have floated names along, you know, uh, of guys they'd be interested in bringing in. I'm not super interested in doing that. This is the one time where I'll invoke Uh, I'd rather talk about guys that are on the roster or I won't talk about guys that are on other teams' roster, even though guys that people want the the Packers to sign are currently not on somebody's roster. But uh, speculating about who they could sign is kind of pointless. Who cares? Uh, Once they sign somebody, then we'll talk about that. That they need to sign someone is not a a position that you need to go super in-depth on. Uh, You can uh, uh, establish that perspective by just talking about the guys that are on the roster. So... Let's stick with that. The biggest headline, though, I think, from Cutdown Weekend is this. Uh, The last three Ted Thompson draft classes are pretty much done. Since Brian Gutekunst took over, and especially over the past week or so, he's really cleaned house from these last three drafts or so. Just this past week, or or let's just call it the past week, the last week of the regular, or of of preseason, uh, Quentin Rollins was waived from injured reserve. Brett Hundley was traded. Aaron Rupkowski was cut. Kyle Murphy was waived from injured reserve. Vince Beagle was cut. D'Angelo Yancey was cut. Kofi Amici was cut. And Devontae Mays, was he waived from injured reserve as well? Well, he was either waived or, or cut. That's a, a pretty serious bloodletting. And if you throw Demarius Randall in there as well, the Packers have more or less moved on from most of these high-end picks. Vince Beagle, in particular, is pretty emblematic of this trend. Since 1998, only six Packers fourth-round picks have played fewer than 10 games in the NFL. Vince Beagle leads the way with nine. That's all he ended up playing for the Packers. Carl Bradford is next on the list with six. Gary Berry, supposedly he played for the Packers in 2000 for four games, is last on the list with four. Then you've got three other guys who haven't played any games at all. Two of them are Corey Rogers and Anthony Lucas, who got cut before they ever made a splash in the NFL. And then you've got Jamon Moore from this year. Maybe a bit of a surprise you see him on the roster not joining that list, but that's a, a different topic altogether. However, I think it should be noted that Vince Beagle was essentially an absolutely free draft pick. Sure, you'd like to get more out of him than nine games. Who wouldn't? But he was taken with that pick the Packers picked up in the trade where they moved from the 29th slot down to 33 and got Kevin King. If you'll remember, the Packers gave up pick number 29 that year, 2017, in in exchange for picks 33 and 108. 33 was King, 108 was Beagle, 31, of course, was T.J. Watt. That makes it a little bit more complicated, though I would maintain that there wouldn't be a controversy at all over the Packers doing what they did What they did if the guy's name was DJ Mott and he played at Louisiana Tech or something like that. The furor over TJ Mack is 90% because he went to Wisconsin and because his brother is J.J. Watt. You know that's true. I know it's true. He may yet become a great player, And that would be a big miss for the Packers, sure. But it's compounded in some people's eyes, not mine, because he went to Wisconsin. 
I, I realize that's not insignificant in the minds of some Packers players, but in terms of evaluating players, it doesn't matter at all. Sure, it would have been a great story, but we tried a great story with Vince Beagle. It didn't work out so hot. The trade is still up in the air. We have to keep reminding ourselves this. We're one year into this story. T.J. Watt was fine last year. He was not a world beater. If he is this year, okay, it starts to tilt a little bit, but we still haven't really gotten much out of Kevin King either. We'll see if he stays healthy this year, what sort of opinion we can form on him. We're just not far enough into this to get this mad about it, though. So cutting Vince Beagle, sure, it's a bummer in one aspect because you would like to see your fourth-round picks stick around for more than one season. But on the other hand, guys that are picked after 100 rarely make that big of an impact anyway. And it wouldn't be as controversial as it is if it wasn't for those stupid extenuating factors with T.J. Watt. So let's let's move on from that a little bit. Still, overall, not great for the last three Ted Thompson draft classes, though I, I think a couple of them could still be redeemed. You got to remember that Kenny Clark is still out there and you know, you'd take if he turns out to be, you know, Pro Bowl, All Pro caliber. Still an if, but if he t- turns out to be that good for a while, you'd take one of those every two or three years, and you're still doing pretty well. So, while it doesn't look good, and it's certainly not a great trend, there is still redemption possible for this group of players. All right, let's talk about Khalil Mack. I'm tired of talking about Khalil Mack. I'm tired about re- of t- tired of reading about Khalil Mack. But we're never going to hear the end of this. Uh, it's it's just going to go on forever because that's how the world of Packers media is. This is always going to be the white whale out there for some people. This is not about the trade. Um, the Bears gave up a, a pretty substantial package for Khalil Mack, though getting that second rounder back from the Raiders was a pretty big deal, and it makes the trade a lot more palatable. The trade itself, though that part of it, not super terrible. Because in a vacuum, you take getting a, a an all-pro caliber player for a couple of draft picks. Even if you draft really, really well in the first round, chances are you're not going to find an all-pro talent in a given two-year stretch. Uh, if you would take just being able to acquire an all-pro player, however, versus the odds of finding an all-pro caliber player in a given two-draft span in the first round, I mean, you side with the the former there. The odds are just stacked in that direction, okay? So from that perspective, there is a significant miss here for the Packers. But that's not the entire equation, and you can't just look at it that way. Uh, There's a lot of armchair GMs out there on the Internet who are looking at this and saying, yep, the Packers absolutely missed out by not making the trade. But we can't just talk about the trade because you have to talk about Khalil Mack's contract. That was an enormous, enormous contract, the Raiders, or not the Raiders. (laughs) A lot of fans out there, I better wishing the Raiders had given it to him. But six years, $141 million with $90 million guaranteed for Khalil Mack is absurd. It's a crazy amount of money to give to a defensive player who's going to be approaching his mid-30s by the time the deal is done. For a non-quarterback, that's absurd. If you have a quarterback on a rookie contract, it's a bit more doable. But the Packers weren't in that situation. The situation makes a lot more sense for the Bears than it does for the Packers. And credit the Bears for making that move. If you think he's the guy who puts you over the top, 
and you win a Super Bowl during this contract because of Khalil Mack's contributions, bully for you. Great job. And you're in a great position to do it because if you believe Mitch Trubisky is your guy or even close to being a guy, just the fact that he's on the rookie contract that he is makes it you know worth at least exploring. So that's great for the Bears. But this wouldn't have made sense for the Packers just by, by the virtue of that contract. Think about how much money the Packers would be shelling out to two guys. I mean, I see people complain about the top 10 contracts on the Packers right now. You'd have almost $200 million guaranteed dollars tied up in Aaron Rodgers and Khalil Mack. You just can't do that. I read somebody, I, I wish I could have, I, I'd looked and I couldn't track it back down. But in this new NFL, somebody whose opinion I respect and I, I can't for the life of me, remember who it was, pointed out that in this new world of free agent spending, and we are in a bit of a new world here for what people are giving out for contracts, somebody is going to end up digging themselves a hole that they can't get out of. Somebody's going to give up too much money, too much guaranteed money in one of these contracts, and it's going to set them back for half a decade. It's going to happen eventually. And given the, the realities of the NFL, how we've seen you know, the hot new trends crash and burn after a couple years before, you know that's going to be true. Someone is going to screw this up. It could be the Packers. It could be that Aaron Rodgers crashes and burns here next year or the year after that, or even this year, just because of his age. That happens with quarterbacks as they approach their mid to late 30s. Sure. But do you want to double the odds of that happening to you by adding another one of those ridiculous contracts to your books? It gets a little bit tough gets tough to justify. And as great a player as Khalil Mack is, it, it's really, really hard for a team like the Packers to put two contracts like that into their con- considerations. That's just too hard to do. Then, even then, there there's more to consider here in terms of possible drawbacks, just in terms of opportunity cost. Opportunity cost to me is the bottom line. Would you rather have the opportunity to sign one good guy right now, as good as he very well may be, or sign several guys over the next few years and keep that core together? The Packers, despite what you may have been told on the internet, actually do have a pretty good roster in some respects. They have a pretty decent defensive line. They've got some fairly okay young defenders. Blake Martinez is up there. Uh, Kevin King, Jair Alexander, and Josh Jackson are going to all have to get re-signed at some point. Even if you don't love HaHa Clinton Dix, he's probably worth something to somebody. And if that somebody is the Packers, they're going to have to re-sign him too. Money has to go around here. If you have the opportunity to spend less on four or five guys instead of a lot on just one guy, it's almost always the best bet to get more good guys than fewer good guys, right? Look at Minnesota. Minnesota's core of players right now has to be the absolute envy of the league. They have a bunch of young guys signed between now and 2020 or so. They can make a run here. And are any of them really making top-of-market deals, new market-setting contracts like Khalil Mack signed? No. That's what you're shooting for. You want to get a bunch of talented players that you can all sign together and keep that window open for as long as possible. Would you rather deal with Khalil's max, Khalil Max salary at 30 or a couple guys like Kenny Clark or Alexander or Jackson or even HaHa Clinton Dix at 24, 25, 26, 27? You have to start planning for these things now and pay as you go 
to fit everybody under the cap. Makes sense? I think that makes sense. Would it be great to have Khalil Mack? Yes. Would I have loved to have Khalil Mack on the Packers? Yes, absolutely. It would have been great. And, you know, there is a jealousy aspect here. I I would love to have the center of the NFL discussion universe focused on Green Bay for a little while. That would be a lot of fun. It would be a lot of fun for us to do together. A lot of great conversation we could have about that. Sure, that would be a great, great time. But that is still just an enormous, enormous contract. So let's let's try to bear that in mind a little bit as we as we react to this. Work for you, that works for me. Let's talk a little bit about the corresponding moves the Packers had to do to construct their roster here or as they went through through the weekend. The the initial 53 is not the final 53. Brian Gutekunst said as much about that. Uh, I think that was what everybody expected. I think we talked about that or may have mentioned it last week, how the, the first version of the 53-man roster is not the final version. And that was very apparent as we came into Labor Day this week. Herb Waters is out. Jake Kumaro is headed to injured reserve. The Packers have to make a couple moves to fill those roster spots. First one, Corey Toomer, an inside linebacker, gets signed on Monday or whenever he got signed. It's really not important this weekend he got signed. Uh, six foot two, 235 pounds. This is his eighth team in the NFL since being drafted by the Seahawks in 2012. He was a fifth-round pick. Uh, those eight teams, or seven teams I've got here on my notes, excuse me, are the Seahawks, Cowboys, Rams, Raiders, Chargers, 49ers, and now the Packers. This guy is an athletic special teamer type. Uh, he had a fantastic pro day. Four, five, three in the 40, a 42-inch vertical. Pretty good agility times as well. His most significant playing time in the league so far was in 2016 and 2017 with the Chargers. In 2017, he had just 266 snaps on defense, another 85 on special teams. 2016 was much more productive, uh, I guess in terms of playing time, much more significant. He played 478 snaps on defense, another 112 on special teams. So his best season, 2016, probably about half the snaps on defense, a little under half, um, and uh, about a quarter of the team's special teams play or so. Probably, probably an extremely poor man's version of Oren Burks at this point. You're going to see spot snaps from him with the Packers. Uh, You're going to see a lot of athleticism, and you're probably going to see a lot of special teams. Do you remember Jordan Tripp from a couple years ago? Uh, Relatively athletic guy, though not as athletic as Corey Toomer. Played a lot of special teams, and he was their break glass in case of emergency type inside linebacker. So I think that's sort of the sort of the role that we're looking at here uh, for Corey Toomer. So not going to be a superstar. He's not going to reconfigure the Packers defense with his athleticism, though there is some significant athleticism here to go around. But he will be a fairly athletic special teams player, and they'll probably count on him for a little bit of contribution there. Then we've got to talk about Darius Jackson. If you're talking about athleticism in terms of guys the Packers can pick up at this point in the season, you really couldn't hope for a lot more than Darius Jackson. He is an athlete with a capital A. Let's cycle back to his pro day workout. Six feet tall, 220 pounds in 2016. His 40-yard dash, 4.4 second, 41-inch vertical, 11-foot, 1-inch broad jump. Those are all 93rd percentile or better according to mockdraftable.com. Pretty good agility, um, pretty good shuttle time, uh, pretty good bench press, 20 reps, 
not bad for a running back. But really, athleticism is the entire story here. He hasn't been on the field yet in his brief NFL career on offense. Um, He has a little bit of a punt cover background dating back to college. Basically, if you're thinking of a player archetype for him, to me it seems like Niall Davis, a mostly special teams guy, doesn't do a lot of side-to-side running, uh, not not going to make you miss. Basically, just going to run straight forward very quickly. Um, but there are also some pretty favorable athletic com- comparisons uh, for this young man. If you look at just the list of comps on MockDraftable.com, very useful website by the way. If you haven't checked that out, David Johnson, Joseph Adai, David Wilson, Donald Brown, Adrian Peterson. Ben Tate and Kenny Irons, all relatively successful NFL backs, some more than others, others if you talk about David Johnson and Adrian Peterson. I wouldn't anticipate this lasting any longer than than a couple weeks or so, but you never know what could happen. Maybe he contributes on special teams and the Packers end up keeping four running backs. Maybe somebody has to go on injured reserve between now and when Aaron Jones comes back and another roster spot is cleared up. Maybe the Packers trade Trevor Davis for a fourth-round draft pick somehow, just because somebody is so desperate to have a guy who can run really fast but not do a whole lot at receiver on their team. Who knows what could happen? Uh, We could end up with a very very athletic third or fourth running back here. So that brings us really to the practice squad. And while I've got you here, I want to talk about one guy in particular. Um, His name is Tony Brown. Uh, I talk about Tony Brown because he's significant for a couple reasons. Last week, if you'll remember, one of the things that I brought up in terms of what we would learn about Brian Gutekunst is what he thinks about his roster compared to the rest of the league. And one place that we can look for evidence of what he thinks of his roster compared to the rest of the league is is the practice squad. Who does he bring bring in who is in other camps to fill out his 10-man squad? Eight of the 10 guys the Packers brought in this year, or brought back to the training camp, were in camp with the Packers. But two of them, and I'd like to talk about one of them, uh, came from other teams. The one I'd like to talk about is Tony Brown. The reason I'd like to talk about Tony Brown is because if you remember all the way back to March or April, um, we did an episode of the podcast called We've Cracked the Code of the Packers Draft. I believe it was episode number 75. And we introduced a concept there called the Packers Athletic Threshold Score. I think that's what it was called. Anyway, we assigned a numerical value to guys who fit really well on that score with what the Packers have historically looked at at certain positions. And among defensive backs, what the Packers like is guys that are a little bit taller than average, a little bit thicker than average, pretty fast, and pretty agile. And out of all the defensive backs in the entire draft, Tony Brown out of Alabama was the number one fit for the Packers in the entire draft. Now, from a football skills standpoint, he did not merit a very high pick. But from just an athleticism standpoint, he was as athletic as you could absolutely hope for for a defensive back. He fit what the Packers did really, really well, in addition to having world-class speed. 4-3-5 in the 40 is fast no matter how good at football you happen to be. I point this out for a couple reasons. First, I, I got to give a pat on the back to Gary, uh, who was instrumental in putting that, uh, that, uh, that score together for us. But also, I want to point out what the Packers are trying to do here with some of their lower-end roster guys. And this is something that I think people were frustrated with, with Ted Thompson for, 
um, over the over I guess the duration of his tenure. Sometimes it really thought like Ted Thompson overthought the bottom end of his roster. Sometimes it seems like he underthought it, but the bottom 10 to 15 guys on the roster or so seemed to more often than not be made up of guys that were, how do I say this without dumping on guys who have reached the pinnacle of professional athleticism? Um, I don't want to use the pejorative try hard guys, but they were more gritty, tough guys. Uh, the guys who, you know, the, they, the guys who make sports writers wax eloquent about, you know, old style athletes, the lunch pail guys, whatever, you know, blue collar superlative you want to throw out there. And that, I think, did not serve the Packers particularly well. But I think when you look at Brian Gutekunst, the guys that he is bringing in, you look at the moves he's made to fill out the 53, you look at what he's brought in from outside for the practice squad, it's guys that are insanely athletic, even for NFL players. And I think that's an encouraging trend. At least if they can't play football, they'll figure it out. They'll get wherever they're going in a hurry. You can teach guys how to play football. You can't teach them how to be world-class athletes. At least Tony Brown is that. And we'll see if he fits anywhere on the football field over the course of the next few weeks and months. That's all I've got for you on this episode. Tune in again on Friday here at Blue 58 for a preview of this week's game. Uh, we'll be doing a little bit more in the world in the in terms of podcasts and episodes per week over this season. We're excited to see where that takes us, and we are excited to have you along with us for that. You can find us as you always do at thepowersweep.com and on Facebook and on Twitter. Check us out via email as well. I've spoken with a couple of you this week alone, thepowersweep1959 at gmail.com. Great way to get in touch with the show and the website. Support us if you would be so kind at, on Patreon. Patreon.com slash thepowersweep is, uh, is the best way to support us financially. It's the easiest way. It's very straightforward. But if that's not your style and you want something that actually does give you a little bit of style, check out our store at teespring.com. Click on the store link at thepowersweep.com to find the latest and greatest in Packers apparel that supports your favorite blog and website and podcast and all of that. And of course, if you'd like to support us and don't want to do so financially, the freest and easiest way to give us your support is with an iTunes review. Uh, No pressure, though. It does help more people find the show, but we understand if you don't want to do that as well. Most of all, we do love to hear from you. Never hesitate to reach out. Any feedback or thoughts or, or interaction you give us helps us make this entire operation better and helps all of us become smarter Packers fans. And as I always say, smarter Packers fans are better Packers fans, and better Packers fans are what we all want to be. I'm John Meerdink. We will see you next time on Blue 58.